blame my brain for being fucking slow, but I blame this entire week. It was really, <laughs> it was really funny though. I'm like, why is there an H? The moment I saw it, the first name, and then Anderson, I'm like, well, I understand why the ER would be there. It still, it still would say it, like, even if you just had the the R, it would still say Fuckerson. Like, you would still pronounce it Fuckerson. You <laughs> well, wouldn't say Fuckerson. <laughs> Fuckerson. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like no, no, no one would pronounce it that way. But the fact that you saw that, I'm like, wait a minute. And then Miles brought up the trick or treat thing. I went, hang on. <laughs> when you see trick or treat, do you say trick or treat like a fucking pirate? <laughs> like, like no, no one would say that. No one would ever pronounce it that way. So that's why I was like, why is he so against the er? Like I don't know, like or against getting rid of the e in the uh and. <laughs> And the respelling, I'm like, what is with this? It's funny though. Uh, <laughs> is it said that in real life I'd rather go with fucker <laughs> with fuckers <laughs> with fucked us fur? I don't know how you'd say that, Christopher. Fucked-a-fur? Fuck-stuffer. Fuck-stuffer. God damn it. I can't like. See, this is the problem with dyslexia, listeners. Bucko, just take a deep breath real quick. We'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's a word my brain doesn't recognize. I have to sit there and like think about it for a while. So, listeners, to get you caught up, <laughs> take the first four letters of your name and replace it with the word fuck. <laughs> Before we get started, uh, Anderson or Anderson came on and, and uh, fuckerson. <laughs> Came on and it was after, you know, after this, this thing was posted by Miles and it said, you know, replace the first, you know, as, as Anderson said, replace the first four or the first four letters of both your first name and last name with fuck. And, you know, Miles had posted his, which is what I was trying to just pronounce. Fucks to fur. Yeah. Fucks to fur fucks. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Anderson comes back with what you'd you'd read it this way, regardless of of whether the H and the E were there, you'd read it, you know, fuckle <laughs> fuckle fuckerson, which is great. Uh, mine would be fuckle fucko. I don't want to even try to pronounce loaches. <laughs> You're right. Uh, and Anderson, you know, says, you know, I might have to legally change my name. I come into the conversation. I just I just finally, you know, taken a shower. And decide to go, all right, I'm going to see what the guys are saying. I come into the conversation and immediately see Anderson's and go, that's not the first four letters. That's the first three letters. And it's not only that, listeners, it's the first three letters of both of his names. So he did it the same way twice. <laughs> so since then, we've gotten that we've now gotten into a chat conversation about <laughs> how this works. And, uh, you know, I Anderson changes his name in the chat, his nickname in the chat. <laughs> to fuckerson with the e again and i go you're still doing it wrong and he says i know but <laughs> but but wh like what's your reasoning it's it's gonna be fuck arson or airson like trick or treat but fuck <laughs> fuck arson but for some reason in my head i'm saying like a pirate it's fuck <laughs> <Arson>. <laughs> <laughs> from now on that's how we're gonna say it you know that now right <laughs> it doesn't matter if the e is there or not <laughs> this is fucking great. So, uh, <laughs> so Miles asked him, he goes, wouldn't you, you know, I, I would pronounce the, you, the exact same way 
in my head as, you know, if you were saying trick or treat, it's an er sound. It's not, you know, an R. You don't say a hard R. <laughs> writes back trick or treat <laughs> with the R separated <laughs> by, apo- by apostrophes. And he goes, and, and, and I don't think Miles realizes, but Miles goes, you got it. He goes, and then Anderson writes back immediately, fuck our son. <laughs> Or would be pronounced with with the bonic son. I was like, wait. <laughs> like, as soon as you wrote, I was like, wait. Like you 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 pronounce the R in trick or treat. <laughs> <Trick or treat. laughs> like what the fuck? Oh man, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man is Josiah joining us after sending us a picture of that mic oh that was Loach oh was that Loach yeah uh, he is probably not going to join us this week but he'll probably be on next week you know you're going to have to walk him through, through how to put it up. that mic set up right <laughs> yeah more than likely plug in the USB okay which end do I plug in the, the one that the, they 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 only match one way, man. <laughs> hey, you might you actually might have to do a video call to walk through it, <laughs> and then record it and send it to us. <laughs> I didn't re- like. I never really realized how much uh, my friends don't know about tech uh, until I get calls or questions. Yeah. Which is funny because like I never really think. I just don't think about it. I just assume. Like for some stupid arrogant reason, I just assume everybody knows what I know. Yep. For no goddamn <laughs> reason other than the fact that well, that's the thing I always have to keep I put myself in check over. I'm like, all right, people don't think the same way I do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I have to afford a logic uh, buffer there. Yeah. I, uh, you also get people who don't want to ask questions, but they're trying to ask, get the answer. Yeah, like well, like they're probing you for information, but they just yeah. don't like they don't know how to just to go out and point. ask it. Like, get to the fucking the point, video man. Miles just put on Dude, video I was like, get to the fucking ro- point. <laughs> like, that, I got to tell you, man. Like the between the videos that I, that started out my day, the audio uh, jokes, the uh, chat that we had. Like, I've had a great start to my to my day. Like, all days should start this way. So you guys should get on it. <laughs> Uh, I don't send me cool stuff. I anymore. don't peruse it that hard. <laughs> I tried to share the good <laughs> shit though. Come on, man. The meme or whatever it was that uh, Anderson posted the one of the uh, the look on the guy's face, the look on someone's face when they when you're about to take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, you chase it down with two energy drinks. Yeah. Oh, that's my organs. <laughs> organs, yeah. My organs give. It's a picture of Sam Elliott. Like, like, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> <laughs> that's how my body. That's how my body reacts when I'm just gonna 
eat, you know, drink an energy drink. Mine's more just Nick Frost shaking his head in fucking hot fuzz. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Listeners, Ichabog is a fun book. I recommend it, like, especially on narration. Just going to give you a review. Fry. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck it. Like, we're not even no intro. Doing it live. Just go. <laughs> Here's our intro. Fucko, Fox, and Fuckerson are here to talk to you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Miles, are you recording yet? Yeah. I've got a little bit of our conversation. Let's do a real intro really quick before you go into it. Right. So, welcome to the Geek Out Heroes. This is Fucko. Fuckstifer. Fuck Arson. <laughs> Fuck Arson. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so welcome to the new year. It's 2021 listeners. Did everything instantly become better for everyone? No. Weird how that works. Uh, So Anderson, you were talking about. um, Uh, Ichabog, the new book by JK Rowling. The narrator was fantastic. The audio book I listened to was narrated by Stephen Fry. And that dude did a fantastic job. Nice. Got into it so much that they started developing different voices for different characters. It's a one-off book, nothing to do with Harry Potter. Just a uh, fun little fantasy book. It's a different world, Pick right? Pick it up and read it. Yep, different world. It's, yeah. it's, it's one-off story. You can tell there won't be any sequels. It's just a one-time story. Everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sooner or later. If you want to pick up a book that will, that gives a happy ending and kind of a better year, Yeah, I'd recommend it. Sure, nothing instantly changed, listeners, but I would recommend this year to start laughing things more off just because this world's already going to die and burn. Just laugh it off. <laughs> ah, you're taking the uh, Wade Wilson approach. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, so, uh, listeners, we've been holding off on doing our Ready Player Two uh, review for a while, and the reason is because Miles and I were supposed to catch up. We we still have not caught up. And the reason is, is because uh, the reason we haven't caught up is because we really haven't been motivated to read it uh, or to go through it because it's just not very compelling. Like the, the changes that have happened in the beginning of the book make you just kind of, kind of put you off and go, I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to like this, if this is going to be any good. Cause Within first, the first four chapters, practically, he systematically dismantles two of the main characters. You're like, all right, well, this is crap. So uh, I guess what what's where is this going? Like, I thought this was supposed to be about a new, uh, you know, treasure hunt, essentially. And that doesn't really happen until like halfway through the fucking book. And then suddenly it's, it's almost like it's trying to tell two different stories. So this is the thing I was going to tell you, Anderson was the reason why uh, the biggest thing that, that is the, the main drawback for it is the fact that it's trying to tell almost two different stories. Like the beginnings a message to the world almost. And it's got this kind of moral to the story. And then after that, it's just fast tracking the treasure hunt. Oh, the treasure hunt goes way by after that. Like, it's just, it's just like, all right, well, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take away everything that made the first book so good. 
And I'm not going to add anything to that. I'm not going to make anything that's more interesting uh, than that. I'm just going to tell a moral of a story and I'm going to have this other side, this other side uh, story over here. Like it, I couldn't figure out what the fuck he was trying to write. Like I, I sat there going, did you start down? Like, did, did he start with like one main story and go and on a complete, just tangent of bullshit? Uh, and you know, you, you mentioned the woke thing to me in a, in a chat and really there's only one woke moment. And, uh, this is a sort of a spoiler miles, but it's not really, you're literally like probably about a chapter away from it. <clears throat> um, and I can explain it, uh, just without giving away too much information. There's a moment in the book where, uh, way decides to abuse his, his power within the, uh, the Oasis and looks up a uh, specific user. And he talks about the fact that they like using different avatars and they switch between, you know, they could switch to a different gendered avatar at, at any moment like that, you know? And when I first sat like that, I'm like, okay, well that wouldn't be anything different than any of us would do. I mean, we all kind of change our, our, our avatars essentially on Facebook all the time. It's our image. And I yeah, could even games nowadays, you can jump between, genders yeah. between in the middle of the games. Yeah. So like that wouldn't be unusual and it, yeah. it's brought up in, <clears throat> in this and he, he, it's kind of an, an aside thing. And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever it's just, you know, maybe he's putting that in there because people don't know that in gaming culture, that's normal. Uh, re, in, like really for nerds, that's, that's kind of a normal thing to happen. And he kind of points out that that's normal. But then he does this, the, the whole thing of like looking up the actual person and where they are and who they are and all that stuff and can access even their, their personal records. So he looks this person up and finds out that they self-identify as a female. They were born as a male and then goes on a ridiculous tangent of the fact that, you know, not that this bugs me because he had like a bit of like a small crush on the person because the person was a, uh, is like almost like a, a social media personality, a uh, YouTube personality they have a large following and he follows them. So he looks them up and, you know, finds out, Oh, well they, they were originally male. They self-identify as a female. Uh, it didn't really go into whether or not they had gone through, you know, full transition or anything like that, but just kind of brought, brings it up and then goes on this weird tangent of like, not that that matters or anything. And then talks about how Wade went through and experienced, you know, sex and relate, you know, relationships through women and men and, uh, as you know, other genders and all this stuff. And, and that, you know, in the end for him, because of, because of that experience, he just decided that love is love. I'm like, well, any enlightened individual would sit there and go, it doesn't, you know, if, if this is your bag, then I don't really care. <laughs> like it, yeah. it, as long as you're consenting, as long as you're two consenting adults, it, it doesn't make a bit of, bit of difference, but it, he goes on this weird thing of like, as if Wade had to go through that stuff in order to have that enlightenment. Like, why did you need to go on this full fucking tangent to say that for one and two, was this really important? Like it, it takes up a good four minutes of dialogue of, of, uh, of the book. And I'm sitting there going, if I had been reading this, like legitimately reading, not just listening to it, I would have just flipped through pages until I got to the part where it actually got to the point because it wasn't, it was pointless. I sat there going like, 
I, I'm not talking about this listeners from like a SJW standpoint. I've seen people who got really mad at him for, and I think this is, this is why this is in the book, by the way, last, his last book, or I shouldn't say his last book, the first book, people got pissed off at, at Ernest Klein because he, he glossed over gender and race issues, but that's not what the book was about. The book wasn't about race. It book, the book wasn't about gender. It was literally about a treasure hunt. And that's what he was getting to. Like it, he wanted to have, give you enough information, enough description to like the characters, to know who the characters are and to move the fuck on. That's how writers work. That's how stories are supposed to work. You're not supposed to watch, you know, you're not supposed to read the Berenstain bears and do two pages in and find out one of the bears. It goes through its fucking, you know, sexual relationship history throughout life before it comes back to him learning why porridge needs to be warm. Like what, why, yeah. the, why the fuck would I need to know any of that information in order to get to the point? So instead yeah, it kind of ties into people these days always having to disclaim everything. Yeah. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm not racist. And the, I'm not sexist. This, this, the like, I'm going to automatically assume that that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. That's my <laughs> default. My default is that you're a good person. That's it. That, you know, it doesn't mean I trust you until you prove otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Until you prove otherwise, it doesn't mean that I trust you. It just means that I'm going to assume that you like a majority of the other population. You don't, you know, you're not going to be ultra judgy. You're not going to be a piece of crap to other people. You're just going to be a decent human being to other people. So, in the book, when that ha- when that moment happened, I was like, I literally sat there going, is this fucking necessary? Why am I having to listen to this? Like, does it matter? Like, I sat there going, does it matter who the, like, especially since it takes so long for this character to ever show up again. I sat there going, it doesn't matter who this person is in their background. Like, should, should this online personality that Wade has just met really need to be explained to me that, oh, their back history is that they were born male and they're now, you know, they're now female. Like listeners, could you imagine if every time you introduced yourself to someone, you came up to them and said, oh, hi, I'm Vargo. Like, you know, me, me introducing myself. I'm Vargo. I'm male and I have a dick. Like that's fucking weird. Why does anyone need to know that? No one needs to know that. That's why that, that's why I, I laugh at the whole pronouns thing being needed to need to be used on Twitter. Like, does it really matter? Does it really matter? It only matters to you because that's the only thing that you can think of that gives you an identity. Other than the fact that you should really just self-identify as you're a human being. Other people are human beings. They should respect you enough to treat you humanely. That's it. But it's social media, so nobody treats each other humanely. So that's another issue. But when I when I was reading the book, I'm like, why is this in here? And then I suddenly remembered. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was given shit for the first book because he didn't talk about gender or or race or anything. So now they're freaking out about not, you know, after freaking out about it and giving him a hard time for it. He's got to appease the socially woke. And what's funny is even doing that, he, the, the same people that he's trying to appease still gave him shit going, you don't represent this. This doesn't mean that, you know, this character would suddenly understand our, you know, our plight or anything like that. I'm like, I like in, even when I read, like hearing that whole section, I'm like, I don't think he was trying to say that I, I completely know how, you know, how it's like, it's just the fact that he experienced that stuff. Now he didn't go like I, I agree he didn't go about the the best way of explaining that, but 
in reality in the book, the only thing that should have been touched on was the fact that if you want, you know, in the book, he, he literally should have just said, you know, one of the great things about the new uh, systems that they use is that you can experience other people's lives and what it's like to be in their, their situation. You can feel their feelings because it literally like, that's what, that that's what so many people didn't get the takeaway on was the fact that it actually lets you feel what the other person felt. Like you do genuinely feel their emotions through these new devices that they have in the, in the book. It's not the like, Oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just a person in their body experience things. Like I I've played cyberpunk 2077 and my character is trans in it because I could literally that's it. Listeners. Because I could do that. I wanted to know if there was any, if it was treated any differently. It's not treated any differently regardless of your gender in the game. Like that gender doesn't yeah. mean anything uh, in the game. Go we, figure. We brought this up. Has almost no impact whatsoever. Yeah. No, no fucking impact whatsoever. Uh, just like in real life. Just like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it, Miles. That's what I'm getting at. It has no real impact in real life. So it's not going to have an impact in the game. So, but at no point would I sit there and say, because I've done that in that game, I know what it's like to be. Uh, you know, a transgender person. No, that would be that that would be fucking lunacy (laughs) for me to say that. But that's not the situation in this book. The situation in this book is that they actually can feel and experience what other people do experience, whether they're black, white, Chinese, doesn't matter. Like it it doesn't matter what what's going on. If that person's experience is recorded, that's what you can feel. You can you can experience in in that world. It's very different from the first book, but people didn't have that takeaway from even what he currently wrote for, for this appeasement and still bagged on him. So I'm like, dude, Ernest, don't try to appease anyone. Just write, write a book based off of the ideas that you want to write about. Yeah, right. Don't pander. You know, don't, don't pander to people. Yeah. Don't just write a story, stick to the story, tell the story. That's one of the things that I, I was telling Anderson earlier was that I appreciate about JK Rowling is the fact that she's woke listeners like, and she, she's been eaten by her own as well for some of the shit that she's, that she's said and stood up for. Uh, but regardless of that, when she writes, she generally writes based off of what the story she wants to, she wants to tell. She's not sitting there trying to, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate five pages to an agenda. It's, I'm just going to write a story because this is how this character is. This is what this character uh, is like. This is the story I want to tell. Uh, you know, she, everybody were, you know, I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people were pissed off when they, you know, found out, oh, uh, Dumbledore is gay and stuff like that. Well, that's, that's in her mind. That's what, ha- that's how that character is. If that character was that way from the time she wrote him, did you even know it? And did you even care? Right. Yeah, it's not expressed in, you know, the the books or the show yeah. or the not show, the movie. It's so you know, it's one of those things it doesn't really fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It does it's not laid on thick. It's not designed to sway your opinion one way or another. It's literally just how she sees that character. Like it and and that's fine. Okay, yeah. You know, if if that's how she intended the character from the beginning, cool, great. I didn't see it as pandering. I saw it as that's how she saw the character. She even said that's how she saw him to begin with. And nobody knew it. And people got mad because she said it and they were like, 
okay, well, you can get mad as much as you want. It doesn't change the fact that it's still a great character and still great books. So, so that's why I don't understand why this port, like that's why I didn't understand why that portion was in there in the book in the first place. Cause now that that character has been brought back up again, I went, was there a reason why you needed to bring this up? Like, did you need to, like, did you really, did he really need to go into Wade changing the character Wade as a, as a person violating somebody else's privacy for one and, and overreaching his power, abusing his power, essentially doing what the Sixers had, had been accused of doing forever. Sorrento, uh, outing this person for him, for his own, for his own curiosity. And he even says in the book, I keep telling him myself it was because of this, but really it was just because of my own curiosity. I'm like, I, I, I never really thought the character would, would do something like that, would end up going that, that direction. That was one of the things that bugged me was the fact that from the beginning of the book on Klein kind of dismantles his characters they don't have any real personal growth uh, other than the fact that, you know, Shoto and H are still, still good people. And Shoto is, has adapted to his responsibilities very well, but Shoto was a character that adapted to his responsibilities throughout the first book. So did H H was just a genuinely good person and stays a genuinely good person. You know, without trying to give away spoilers, that's that's the way those characters were, and that's the way they stayed. That's good, but they were already mature to begin with, or you know, relatively mature to begin with from the first book. Going into this book, it's it starts out kind of the beginning, like pretty much right off, explaining what happened right off after the first after the events of the first book. But it's technically three years later. It's three years later, and it's Wade. It's Wade kind of explaining what happened three years back, basically. So it's I would agree with you on like some of the character development makes no sense. Well, I mean, you know, right away, Wade kind of turns into Sorrento and, uh, you know, this listeners, this is this is literally like within the first chapter or two chapters. So I'm not really giving away a, a, a huge spoiler, but I will tell you this just because if you don't like what you're hearing, you're probably not going to like the book. Uh, Wade kind of turns in or, you know, goes the Sorrento route of doing things that, uh, IOI did over and over again. Yeah. Not adjusting to having power. Very yeah. Well. And, and, and that's it. It's not adjusting to having power very well. He stays very immature. It's, you know, and fast forward three years later where, where the book mainly takes place. He's still not, you know, not really adjusting very well. Hasn't matured, hasn't grown as a person and already kind of turns into a hypocrite. <laughs> Like a hypocritic bitch. And I sat there going, what the fuck? Like you had, you had four great characters in the first book that were actually able to discuss things. They were able to geek out with one another and have conversations and talk about the things that they wanted to do for the world. And two of them do end up doing those things. Whereas the other two kind of just become assholes and you sat there going, all right, well, this isn't very fun. I don't really care to care to keep listening to this. This is kind of annoying. By the time I got to the chapter nine, I was like, I don't even know if I want to walk, like want to go through this anymore because that's when things started to kick off into the other storyline and where he completely destroys another character that I liked from the first book. And I went, wow, so great. Thanks for, thanks for ruining 
your characters simply so you could tell a story that is actually very lackluster compared to the first book because there's no real story for a long time. It's very boring. Not a lot's happening. And that's one of the main, that's one of the other, until the back half. that's yeah. one of the other reasons why Miles and I were sitting there going, I'm having a hard time getting into it because there's not a whole lot happening at the beginning of the book for the first half. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah. It's like really, really long scene setting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in between you have the, the long tangents of, of geeking out over stuff. But yeah. the thing that was so great about the first book that I, I think kind of, I think Klein kind of didn't understand really himself based off of where this book has gone is that Ernest, we love the geek out portions, but what you don't understand is that the way that they were laid out so perfectly in the first book was that everything was built up and, and explained certain things that were pivotal to one, the plot and two the, the main Easter hunt, Easter egg hunt that the entire book surrounded. And when it happens in book two, it's not, it has almost no re- like uh, for, for the first half of the book, it has almost no relevancy to what's taking place later on to the point where your main character does actually misses things of their own trivia that they should know or things that they should have picked up. I get that they're out of practice. It's been three years, but at the same time, if, if Wade has been, excuse me, if Wade has been devoting his time, which is 12 hours a day uh, to going into the Oasis to, and it's literally pretty much every day listeners. Uh, the book talks about of dedicating his time to finding the, this first, the first shards uh, is what they're looking for uh, the first shard and he can't find it. It's not because he's really out of practice <laughs> because he's doing it. If he's doing it every day, he's literally treating it like a job. Um, so, it, it just all of it kind of kind of came up like came apart for me in in just the first nine chapters of the book. And I'm eight listeners. I'm at 18. Uh, I'm almost at 19 uh, chapter 19. Um, I was really, really, really uh, touch and go on whether or not I was going to continue the book uh, going further uh, when I got to like chapter uh, 11 or 12 when there. Cause I was just like, you know what? I don't know if it's worth it <laughs> to be honest. So based off of that, based off of my complaints and uh, what I've seen uh, the things that are good though, are that it's Ernest Klein's still a good writer. He's he, it's still well-written. It's all the same kind of uh, caliber of writing. It's just not very good story. And I would I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who's a fan of the first book. If you're a fan of the first book, just stick with the first book. If you really loved Ready Player One, just read Ready Player One again. Uh, it's a, it's vastly superior in my opinion so far, and uh, or uh, go read Andromeda or uh, not Andromeda uh, Armada. Sorry, Armada is his other book. And Steve and I actually got into a conversation about this. Steve actually thinks that it's better. This is better than Armada. I think he didn't really care for Armada that much. I loved Armada. Uh, I thought it was great. I didn't think it was as good as ready player one, but it was a good book. So um, I would recommend uh, Armada over this. If you haven't read it, uh, just go in knowing Armada is not exactly the same thing. So uh, Anderson, anything to add? I actually like the finale to it. Okay. It's so definitely a definitive. It is definitely a definitive ending to the series. 
So is there is is it at least a good payoff to get through? Um, so without giving anything away. So the reason why I was able to power through the books, listener, is that because of my career, I could put on an audio book and work. So that's how I can power through books like I do. Makes sense. Uh, so listening to the book, I would agree. And this is, what, this is my biggest pet peeve is that the slow dredge, you have your second book. You don't need to rebuild everybody, but he decided to rebuild everybody and kind of alter the characters from the first book. Yeah. Which really was not necessary. When when Vargo's talking about the this uh, YouTube personality and giving the backstory, yeah, that would be like in Lord of the Rings, and they decided to give a full backstory to Legolas. It really yeah, wasn't needed. It's, it's not needed. That character <laughs> is important to the story, at least some of the major plot points near the end, because this person provides aid to yeah, they're way uh, friends. When you're what you're talking about though is uh, is yeah. exactly is a great point. Uh, Sorry to interrupt, but uh, when you brought up Legolas, it's a main character, but it's a character that it's more important to see their actions and to know that they're a good person and that their actions speak louder than what their background is. Now, I do. I agree. I think that's I think I think that part of the story was pushed on to him probably by the, uh, the publication saying, hey, we need to appease all fans and tell them to put it in there. Yeah, I didn't mind. I like I did really quick. I didn't mind about that character. I didn't mind the being able to see who their friends were. And yeah. the promise that they make to their friends that gives you a good uh, basis of the kind that of person, the kind of person that's that they are. And I went that like right there, that was that's enough. Great. Like yeah. he should have left it there and just moved on and not worried about anything else. Not worried about the, the background check, essentially. <laughs> the part you're talking about makes you not like Wade even more because Wade willingly violates people's privacy yeah. for his personal gain. Which that's nothing like him in the first book. Yep. Sure, he doesn't have great moments, but no human does. But that's when he starts becoming more like Sorrento. Yeah. Now I will say it does bounce back when you. And unfortunately, listeners, you're gonna hate this, but when, it's not gonna happen until you hit like the last quarter of the book. I'm sure. And that's when the bounce back comes back. There's great Greek. There's a very good geeky moment involving the whole concept of imagined all the John Hughes movies taking place in the same universe. That's where I'm at. Or actually, that's where I left. I'm now at, uh, like I said, I'm now at the Prince portion of it. Artist formerly known as. Yeah. (laughs) Prince was a fun part. The, I, I actually really enjoy the final galactic or the final battle quite well. And then the finale. So I feel like it does bounce back, but I would agree with Vargo in the sense, listening. if you decide to listen to this book, if you have the ability and the willingness to jump certain portions ahead, that might be the best way to handle it. Yeah. Between his three novels that he's developed, I think Ready Player One is the best, mm-hmm. followed by Armada. And he is a great writer. He knows how to geek it out. Yep. So we'll see what he has in the future. I don't think this is the best. I do like the fact that they kept Will Wheaton as the narrator. Yeah, they? he still does a fantastic job. To me, he is the voice of Wade. Yeah. No more poor Zuler. I feel like certain parts of it, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, Will, I like you a lot, but, you know, it's Poser, dude. It's Poser. I get that it's that it, that it sometimes probably looked like Poser, but it's Poser. And we don't need that pretentious shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
dude when i when i first yeah dug into ready player one oh yeah and it, it got it i was like who the fuck is this pompous ass right and uh i looked it was like will we will we <laughs> right the person that they made a whole joke about in family guy will wheaton <laughs> and he fucking pronounces poser as posure yeah <laughs> oh, at least he makes fun like, of dear so god like, man you love him on a big bang theory oh yeah uh the 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 oh. fact that will wheaton's e- e- like easily uh willing to poke fun at himself is is a uh that's a good mark on a on, on a person's character, in my opinion. That's all he does on Big Bang Theory is make fun of himself. Yeah, he does a really good That's job. Fantastic. It seems kind of a consensus amongst fans right now, uh, based off of reviews that have been seen from other fans and the ratings that it's getting from the not not the haters because there's plenty of those. There was plenty of those with the first book, uh, but from people who actually read the first book, liked the first book, even make statements like I, you know, I really loved the first book. I liked, you know, Armada and, you know, a lot of people back, like a lot of people who were just really disappointed, really let down by this book. And to be honest, I think that, you know, if Kleiner hears this, dude, you're still a good writer. Uh, you should still keep it up. I'm looking forward to hearing, seeing whatever, whatever else you create, uh, just because I'm, uh, I want to see what other worlds you can think of. But I think you're done. I can, I can, I can confirm that with you that the way the story ends, it's over. Okay. Based off of where I'm at, I wouldn't recommend the book. But uh, you know, Anderson, would you recommend everybody, you know, anybody reading it, or would you just say just stick with the first book? I would say stick to the first book unless you're a masochist. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Miles is at you know, Miles can stop now if he wants, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's Miles isn't, isn't so much of a quitter. I know this because he's a Ubisoft player. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm a masochist. I'm still playing Valhalla. <laughs> oh, man. Fighting on staircases sideways. I get it. I totally get it. So, uh, Miles, where where are you at in, in the book? <laughs> it's a good question. I think only like chapter five or six. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Th- I catch 20 minutes at a time, maybe before I pass the fuck out. So, oh, uh, cause you listen to it at night. I just haven't. Yeah. So I start playing in the morning. So I, I haven't just sat down and listened to it. <laughs> Funnily enough, the first one I finished while playing a Ubisoft game. <laughs> <laughs> it probably made that Ubisoft game about a thousand times better. Yeah. It was the, uh, it was the, uh, side scrolling, uh, Chinese one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I forget the actual name of it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Whatever the Chinese one is. Uh, Yeah, so there wasn't, it's not, it wasn't one of those games that had a whole lot of, you know, dialogue to it. So I just had that on while I was playing. I was like, all right. So I just haven't sat down to do that with this. So Anderson, since you finished it, do you think they're going to try to turn this one into a movie as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just because of money. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing money. with that is that, uh, they've already said that they're work or like Loach has told me at least that they've already said that they're starting to work early, that they're in early production. So, uh, pre-production for uh, ready player two. And I'm like, man, like, What's what's kind of strange is that there are some of the themes, like some of the themes at the at the end of Ready Player One, the movie, 
are already replicated partially into Ready Player Two, uh, the book at the beginning, except for the we turn off the Oasis doesn't happen in the beginning. It didn't happen at the end of Ready Player One and it doesn't happen at the beginning of Ready Player Two. Uh, but in the movie, it was like, well, we turn off yeah. the Oasis every like Thursday like or something or Wednesday yeah. or something like that. And, uh, you know, nobody can get access to it. And we make sure people go out in the real world. That is not a concern for Wade at all in the books no. of people going out because in his opinion, and rightfully so, we have as the owners have no right dictating to someone whether or not they should go online or go into the real world. If they waste away online, then they waste away online. They're adults. They should be allowed to do so. Wade's biggest push in the books is offering free education for everybody. That was his big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not let's turn it off every Thursday so people can get sunlight. It was free education, free education, free education. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was... It was kind of one of those like weird things in the movie where uh, when the movie came up like and they did that, I was like, ah, this is clearly a Steven Spielberg or writers uh, push, not not an Ernest Klein push uh, to throw this in there. Like, oh, we need to have the moral uh, uh, lesson of like people need to get out and, and enjoy life and not, you know, waste away in a. Uh, in the Oasis. And I'm like, well, they go into the Oasis because the real world sucks. So what do you got? <laughs> uh, and they talk about that in the second book of the fact that like people go to the Oasis for an escape. That's the reason why they're there. Uh, the real world kind of blows and it's even worse in these books. Like it's worse than it is now. It's worse than 2020 listeners. Um, so, uh, you know, they talk about how, going in the Oasis and people spending time in there prevents disease from spreading and stuff like that. Like there's, there's tons of benefits. There's also tons of, you know, adverse effects to people spending all their time online. This is true in the book and in real life. So I felt like at the end of that movie, I was like, well, you guys are just kind of, you know, this is a Hollywood push for their own fucking, you know, moral lesson that they want to put in there. So I'm curious how that's going to work out in the second movie when that doesn't even exist in the book. Like, is that just going to be, is it going to, in other words, at the beginning of the book, at the beginning of the movie, is it just going to become an argument point of like, Hey, we did this because you wanted to do that. And I agreed that should be enough. And then it's going to lead on to a different argument in the movie. And I'm like, man, like there, cause that the beginning of that book, I've already player two, like, <laughs> The arguments that they have are honestly listeners, the dumbest arguments I've ever heard. <laughs> like it, it is a, like when, when one person makes a statement and it's completely hypocritical to another point in their life and the other person can point that out, the other person just gets resentful of them for, Oh, I can't believe you. Basically, I can't believe you were able to throw my own argument in my face. And that's how, that's how the initial arguments go at the beginning of the book. And you're kind of like, man, these people sound completely unreasonable and stupid rather than the, uh, decent people that I remember. So I'm curious how that's going to go for the second film. Is all anyways, moving on. I picked up, uh, <clears throat> immortals, Phoenix rising. 
did you? <laughs> I was going to wait until that game's on sale. It is on sale. Yeah. <laughs> For, I think, a couple more days. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, but 40, between uh, the sorry, it's forty bucks, right, Miles, for the initial one, and thirty dollars. Yeah, I think so. It's like thirty dollars for the disc, like thirty three percent off across the board. Yeah, it's like thirty dollars for the disc, forty dollars for digital, and sixty uh, six something. I think for the, the gold edition. Gold. Yeah, it comes with like a season pass. An extra, an, an extra. I loved the uh, an extra level, yeah, because you guys didn't develop it for for the regular game. You just decided <laughs> to strip it out of the regular yeah. game. Fucking typical Ubisoft. Um, yep. As a sale, you know, as a sales incentive, it's a sales incentive. I get it. Uh, hopefully, the season pass is actually worth it and actually gives uh, gives those people who buy it uh, extra okay. content. Usually. Usually Ubisoft does okay with season pass. It's I say okay because nine times out of ten it's shit that should be included into the game anyways. But uh it's at least content. Uh, yeah, I can say that the the one for Odyssey wasn't as bad uh as they usually are. Uh, the stuff that they had added in really was extra content. It wasn't really things that are, in my opinion, more pertinent to the main story. Not the ones they added the organs. Other than the childbirth thing, which a lot of people were just pissed off about because Ubisoft didn't take other people's choices for uh, love interests for their main character. Uh, they didn't take that seriously at all um, no. based off of the outcome for for that part of the DLC. That that DLC really, in my opinion, listeners, was kind of a fuck up on Ubisoft's end. Like I can understand. I could I could totally understand people's gripes. That was not an SJW thing where people like, how dare they? My character was gay. Uh, it was literally one of those things of like, well, I chose my character to be this. That was that's the you know the canon for my character, and you're forcing me to go a different different direction because of store because of your own story because you couldn't think yeah. of a way around this. It was uh, to me it was a logic point that Ubisoft should have never made. Like if that if that was going to happen, they should have never made the choice to give players the ability to romance yeah, an NPC at all. Yeah, you should yeah. never ventured into the rpg dialogue yep yeah exactly the forced cut scene for romance yeah absolutely but yeah the uh the gold edition is typically 100 bucks it's on sale for 79.99 right now on Mm -hmm. their site so it might vary between platforms but i essentially got that one for like between the sale and the the uh discount uh codes i got from well i say discount codes dollar codes i got from the samurai cola for the cyberpunk thing okay. uh i basically dropped 45 bucks for the gold edition yeah so i was like that's a fucking steal i was like i can't i can't be upset at that i had gift cards so um, i technically got it for free as well <laughs> yeah yeah um but it's it's fun i I've, I've i dare say i've had more fun with it than i did with uh, uh assassin's creed valhalla which i haven't finished yet either um but I say that because mostly it it fucking works. Uh, I don't think I've ran into a single note, noteworthy glitch. Uh, you know, and that's a nice fucking change of pace for a Ubisoft game. I've been right? watching a lot of reviews on it, and it seems like they invest a lot more into this than they did Valhalla, just based off of just like YouTube reviews I've been seeing. I mean, it's a simpler game. I mean, anytime yeah. you make a, a simpler mechanic, make simpler mechanics and a simpler art style, uh, it. There's less shit to go wrong in general. 
What's really funny is Miles, you're bringing up the fact that it's simpler. And that's, that's one of the criticisms that I've seen for people who review it. And I'm like, I, that's not a criticism to me. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that seems like that's a good thing for a Ubisoft game. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like I, 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 we all play a, a wide variety of games except mm-hmm. for lunch. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> which listeners, he is going to be coming back, by the way. Uh, he's got a mic and we're looking forward to having him on. Hopefully we're going to get him. We are definitely going to get him on, uh, I think for the, uh, the game of the year and, uh, their, you know, 2020 in review, um, podcasts. So, uh, he will be able to tell us all about MLB. You rest assured <laughs> MLB. The show is coming game of the year. Anyways. But I mean, uh, you know, we we have our enjoyments with complex uh, games, and yeah. there's there's a, a, a good specific level of enjoyment for something that's simple. Yeah, it's a big part of the reason that I'll sit there and veg out, just fucking you know, knocking stuff out on Destiny. Grand scheme of things, it's a simple fucking game. I don't have to sit there and you know overthink anything. I just fucking point shoot, turn in bounty. You know. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising is basically just kind of a Breath of the Wild uh, clone. Um, you could, yeah, any any real simple open world, but you could see there's tons of influence from that. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty art style. The uh, I remember one of the bigger criticisms was the dialogue not matching up with your character's animation. Honestly, not that bad. It's not really all that noticeable to me. Gotcha. So, you know, for the price I paid for it, absolutely worth a buy. I was going to say, probably not as, probably not as jarringly uh, disconnected as sometimes with Cyberpunk. Right. Uh, Valhalla's gotten yeah, pretty I, bad. I've gotten further into it. Yeah. I'm now having full conversations with the person I'm talking to is, has their back to me and they're conversating with a brick wall. And this is in cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do you go do you do you hang out with an NPC? They offer you lemonade, you drink lemonade and then talk about you barfing your guts out the next day because you got so wasted on lemonade. <laughs> hey man, don't be knocking that. It's fermented lemonade. <laughs> yeah, CDPR, uh you guys really should have gone through your dialogue a little bit more and realized that uh based off of our choices there should be there should be different dialogue. Uh, coming from NPCs in different conversations, just so you guys know. So, you know, it's so far it's been really enjoyable. Um, you know, I'd say it's easily, you know, worth it. I'd say it's a $60 game, you know, but get it on sale if you can. Yeah. It looked like it was a decent enough buy. I've seen some pretty good reviews. Uh, Young Yeah liked it. Um, ACG said it was pretty decent. Uh, yeah. The narrative dialogue between uh, Zeus and the, uh, Perseus uh, is fucking great. Uh, not Perseus, uh, Prometheus. Prometheus. Um, it you know the 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 typical realistic uh, depiction of Zeus is typically that you know he's kind of a petulant asshole, you know that's just self absorbed, and they kind of play off that in this. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, Prometheus just dogs on him the entire fucking time about it. <laughs> uh, so that that's actually really fun. Nice. It's good to know that uh, I made a purchase that I can look forward to playing. <laughs> um, 
is there anything else that uh, that we needed to review? Um, uh, I watched the first half of the new season of Cobra Kai, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I watched uh, the entirety of uh, the new season of Cobra Kai yesterday. I binge watched it. Um, it was very good. Uh, ends on a to be continued kind of note, like which season. sucked. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, much like last season, but this one was kind of like, all right, really, like this is where you're, this is where you're going to end it. Like you're not going to end it somewhere else <laughs> on a, you know, at a different point. There was a bit of, you know. There was definitely some CW relationship moments in this uh, in this season a little bit more than I had liked, but it's a drama and they got to create drama wherever they can. It was a very good season though. I was really happy with it. Loach loved it. That's because of maybe the changing of studios. What do you mean? Because it was really for the relationship. Oh no, it was that was Netflix. that was always that was always an issue with with Cobra Kai. That was literally in the first well, two seasons. Talk about the uh, more towards the cliffhanger. Like I said, I think the cliffhanger the cliffhanger they had wasn't nearly as bad as last season's. Like last season's cliffhanger was like, what the fuck? Like this is where you're ending it? Like this one was, oh really? Like it, it was more of like a disappointment. Like I, I wish they hadn't ended it right there because it's going to be a year before we have another season. And a year later, everybody's going to look, you know, a year, you know, a year older. And it's going to be literally the next day. <laughs> Or, or or next week. Yeah, it's going to be tough to tell for the show. So, because uh, there was that jarring, there was that jarring uh, difference between like, did you notice uh, Daniel? Have you seen Daniel's uh, son yet in the show? I haven't yet, but but it's really given he, away to me. His hair. He's been a he's been a he, well. Daniel's son's been a butterball since the first season. Oh, the first two seasons, he's a butterball. Yeah, yeah. This season, he is a skinny tall 13 year old is it kind of like the best friend of the new spider-man because if you've seen photos of him man he's uh he got ripped <laughs> yeah i haven't yeah, seen yeah. i haven't seen him uh lately uh but looks like he's been getting the marvel treatment yeah but there are certain things with like uh you know you could turn around and have uh dialogue that explains that uh, you know, they, they can make a funny remark of the, about the fact, you know, they've been getting in shape or something like that. This kid is, is literally like a foot taller than he was, which I get it. Kids grow fast listeners. I know that, but like, he's a foot taller than he was and he's skinny as a rail. And I'm going, it's because he hit his growth spur and it's been a year and a half later, but in the show, it's only been like a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like the show is supposed to take place like a week or two after the events of the first uh, season. Like that's where it starts out. You actually could have wrote that one off because of how the season ended. You could have said, you know, six months later kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, I think, I think the first episode talks about the fact that uh, Miguel is in a coma for like two weeks. Yeah. Or something like that. I was like, man, like it hasn't been that long. Like there's, there's no way this kid would grow that much and be that skinny within that short of time. Like, it's just not possible. Like, you, you would have to sit there and be like, and in the role of so-and-so is being played by like, that's the only way you get by with that shit is because you're, you're announcing to the audience that someone else is playing the part. Um, but there are certain things that, uh, you know, that I liked about the show and where it goes. Uh, you get to see a little bit more of what's her name's uh, life and how that's going, how she's having to take care of her mom and stuff. So like they, they do a good job of painting a picture of the lives of the bad guys. Your, your, villains in the show uh and the things that they go through the things that have happened to them that have caused them to be these people 
Uh, yeah, I'm actually that's that's been a nice surprise so far, like the first half of the season, of the what you can define as the main bad guy, getting his yeah. Backstory. I mean you you're seeing you're seeing why Crease you're you're essentially seeing why Crease is Emperor Palpatine, <laughs> of of the show. I mean he really he really is uh, a a complete evil piece of shit. But they do a good job in this season of explaining like there's a reason why he's this way. He does have a scene that makes you kind of like him, or at least a little bit redeeming. He, he has, yeah. he has redeeming moments, but it's never, but the thing you have to understand is that his redeeming moments are never They're to benefit someone blind. else. Yeah. It's always selfish. It's always for his own benefit. You know, it's interesting because it's not necessarily setting it up so that you feel bad for the person. It's so that you have a better understanding of what their motivations are and what they do and why they do them. Uh, it's kind of like how uh, I can't remember her name. It's the the girl that was she's the she's the bad girl, the one who's having to take care of her mom. I can't think of her name. You know what? Offhand. I think the character's name is Troy. Is or it Troy? Tori. No, it's Tori. 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 <laughs> Troy. I'm close. Troy. <laughs> Anderson has a problem with names today. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 awful with names, listeners. But uh, yeah, Tori's story uh, of like essentially what she's having to deal with at home, what she's having to do in her personal life, and how she kind of like what ends up having a great impact on her impact on her life, and why she has defensive uh, mechanism when it comes to Cobra Kai and Crease, because it's almost like she feels she owes she owes this person now. They they did you know I felt like the whole season was really really well done it was really well written and I've enjoyed it. Are the two moms still the best uh, reasonable human beings in the show? Absolutely. Oh well, I, sh- I shouldn't say I shouldn't say absolutely. <laughs> there is a moment for Daniel's wife where she tries to do what would be considered reasonable, but it's with dealing with Crease. Mm. And this is I'm not going to give anything away, listeners, but. She makes the mistake of thinking that she can deal with this person on a ra- like at, at a rational level, essentially, you know, and uh, like without Chris consequence. Is a fucking nut job. And Chris is a fucking nut job. She doesn't she doesn't fully grasp what Daniel has been trying to tell her about this person of that. You can't simply just go in and, you know, make make essentially an idol. What what Chris would consider an idle threat because that, that doesn't work. But the guy, like, I can't think of the guy's name, the actor that plays Crease. He does an excellent job. What a great. Yeah, Martin Cove. Uh, he's, a, he's a fantastic villain. I was wondering if, like, in real life, he's like a big teddy bear. Wouldn't surprise me <laughs> in, in the least. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, Zapka, uh, who plays Johnny. Uh, for years back in the 80s, he was, he was painted as the bully. And in every like every, pretty much every role he ever played, I mean, he was he was in the, the movie uh, Just One of the Guys. Uh, it's one of my you know favorite eighties movies. As a kid growing up, and he was a bully in that. He was the bully, uh, you know, he was the quintessential bully back in the eighties, and he knew that that he was getting typecast for it. That's kind of why he got out of acting. So he ended up taking a backseat and going into producing and stuff like that. But since Zapka seems like a nice guy, I would imagine the guy who plays Crease is probably a nice person as well. Otherwise, people wouldn't one wouldn't want to work for him or work well, like, work with him. I like the so, fact that the character he, he almost re, replays the character kinda in the Goldbergs. There's a, a Karate Kid episode of the Goldbergs that's fantastic. Oh yeah, that yeah. one's good. 
he probably enjoys being being able to play the bad guy. A lot of a lot of people who are super nice love it, like playing the bad guy every now and then. So I'm just reading some backstory into the show now. It sounds like Cove, the actor who plays him, when it's off scene, he actually likes to use the Nerf gun to have Nerf battles with all the kids on set. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, in the scene where uh, the beginning scenes where Miguel's in the hospital bed, one of his off shooting, mm-hmm. I guess. Chris kept shooting him in the forehead with the uh, Nerf guns. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's great. That's good. Yeah. So, I listeners, I'm looking forward to season four. Well, you know, it's a good pickup by Netflix. They screwed up with uh, with cuties, but at least they got this. So, listeners, uh, <laughs> from here on, you're like know that this conversation took place after Wonder after our Wonder Woman conversation. So, uh, soul. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Miles, go ahead. <laughs> like I was able to enjoy soul. Do I think it was Pixar's best? Not no. even close, but, <laughs> but I get what they were trying to go with. And, uh, you know, I saw all the missed opportunities that you were it's talking a about. Gigantic missed opportunity. And, uh, <laughs> that whole movie. <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, in my opinion, decently done. It just wasn't yeah. great. So <laughs> listeners, uh, I did not like it. It wasn't a bad movie, but soul just didn't need to be made. Yeah. It was, it's meh. <laughs> it's really is meh. And listeners, before you guys go on a tangent of some bullshit, like if you're an SJW dumbass, you know, Oh, it's because I'm racist or something like that. I genuinely was looking forward to soul. I actually wanted to see a movie that was about music. That was about one of the greatest influences in American culture today which is about jazz and blues. I love the blues. Love the blues. Not a huge fan of jazz improvise, you know, improv, improvisational. God, I can't say that word. Why? I still can't say it. You know, improv Surprise music. Jazz. <laughs> Surprise mechanic jazz. <laughs> it's the loot box of music. Uh, yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, it's, you know, it. Im- improv uh, music is not really my thing. I'm not really huge on that kind of that kind of style of music, uh, but I have a huge respect for jazz because of the fact that it influenced so many aspects of uh, music in itself. So I was looking forward to a movie that was going to be musically driven. That was going to be, you know, especially when they said Jamie Foxx was going to be playing the character. I was like, oh my gosh! Like I remember his performance from Ray and going. This guy has a genuine talent. I'm looking forward to listening to him, like, you know, musical numbers, stuff like that. And for Pixar to really create something unique. None of that's in it. <laughs> it, it takes when it talks about jazz, it is like a, a an afterthought footnote when it, yeah. yeah, when it talks about music in general, it is an, it is a footnote. The whole movie uh, that doesn't even like for, for the, all the ads that they showed, it doesn't even mostly take place on in the spiritual plane in the, in, in the film. Uh, it takes place mostly on earth and they have this weird kind of body swap thing going on between the yeah. cat and him. Who is the, the cat actually ends up being Jamie Foxx's character and the, and his care, his, his human body ends up being in, uh, inhabited by another soul. It's the soul that he's supposed to inspire. And the whole time you're getting this feeling of like, oh man, he's going to, it's, he's going to have this, this journey of understanding that 
his gift in life was being a teacher and inspiring other people with with music and their understanding of music and being able to create uh beautiful art in the world you know he, he they even have this moment where he he's got an old an old student of his who was actually inspired so like the only reason why he went to school was because of his class the only reason he went to school was because he got to he got to play the drums and that was the thing he looked forward to the most. And you're like, you're thinking there's going to be so much buildup for this. And like, it's going to give so much reinforcement to why we need the arts and why we need teachers that, uh, that inspire people in schools. And it's never there. It never happens. There's no gratification <laughs> for teachers. There's no gratification, you no, know, no gratification for, for the arts, the performing arts, nothing in the, in, like I said, music is a side note. Like it doesn't really focus on any of the, any of the musical parts, anything like that. It is just this massive missed opportunity. And I went, why is every, like, and I saw all the reviews for it and I'm sitting going, why is everyone losing their shit over how good this movie is when it's just a giant missed opportunity? So listeners, if you are an educator or anything like that, watch this knowing that it is not going to have that revelation, that moment for you where this guy realizes that his gift in life is being a teacher is being the inspiration for these kids to go on and do great things. Yeah. The closest thing you get to like an overarching tale or lesson or whatever is that, you know, appreciate life and (laughs) nobody actually (laughs) has a real purpose. I'm like, okay, that that was the walk away. That was the takeaway. No one has, no one has a real purpose. Your purpose in life is to live life. And yeah. to enjoy it. And that's and that's went, fine. But there was a bunch of you know, like you pointed out the the teacher thing and, and as like there's a bunch of little, you know, pathways that this could have taken and it ignored pretty much all of them. Yeah. <laughs> ignored every single fucking one. And then at the end they're like, Oh, you inspire rarely do we meet a soul who inspires us and you inspired us. I'm like, okay, so is this the lead up to to him realizing that this is his gift. Nope. After that, he, you know, after he goes back to earth, he just goes, yep. And I lived life. I'm going to live life to the fullest every day. I was like, great. (laughs) I guess true to the, uh, the movie, you know, it had no purpose. (laughs) Yeah. The movie Um, has no purpose. Therefore, uh, life has no purpose. Sweet. I will say, uh, one of the characters that they had in it was, one of my more favorite Pixar characters they've come up with, and that's this uh, crazy ass hippie named Moonwind. Uh, oh yeah, that was great. Dude's dude's was hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, that that was funny. Yeah, that was that was um, the best part of the entire movie for me. It was just yeah, yeah. his his associated parts. It wasn't bad, but yeah, going with low expectations. <laughs> oh yeah, going with massively low expectations because I walked away going, eh, I. I I, I wish I I wish that it had one never been made because it it was a waste of my time <laughs> and two it's it's a Pixar it's it's the only it's the first not the first I shouldn't say that that's not correct uh, it's the second Pixar movie I would never even consider buying uh, the other one was a good dinosaur and the only reason I owned that was because I got it for three bucks so listeners a lot of people liked the good dinosaur I walked away with the same feeling of that of going eh. I thought it was fine. 
but that was it. It's not a very touching tale to me. It's not a very good Pixar movie to me. And it, it overall comes across as a made for TV movie plot. And I went into soul with really big expectations and I felt the same way about soul. So make sure you, you don't go in with expectations at all. Anderson, what did you think? Did you see it? So I thought it was going to be a jazz movie or, you know, heavily influenced by <laughs> jazz because how it was marketed. Dude, Loach thought the same thing. I had to quell his expectations tremendously. After watching, I was like, okay, this is like a terrible version of Coach Carter movie because not inspirational though. at all yeah <laughs> they're not doing a good job you know changing the narrative to saying this is for and this is aimed towards teachers to help them inspire them during this rough time which i'm guessing that's what they were trying yeah. to go with but they just didn't stick to a clear direction with the story yeah. jamie fox was it doesn't, fantastic it doesn't have that, that payoff i think the only thing else i really liked was the barbershop scenes Oh, dude, yeah. the 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 dialogue, the stuff that you thought was going to ramp up to all of this payoff were great. Oh, yeah. The the funny scenes of watching. Um, I can't remember the the soul's name. <laughs> They're all numbered. So 22. Yeah. Uh, 22. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I couldn't remember the number. Funny how <laughs> pizza is. Yeah, that's probably a great. Scene. Uh, it's realizing that that life on Earth is actually something that they want to experience in, in the, that stuff was really good listeners. I want to point out that was, that was actually really good stuff. They had some really funny parts into it. The, the barbershop scene was fantastic. Um, I think the hippie scene in the street was fantastic. <laughs> dude, his character was, was phenomenal. I, I would tell you uh, now. when he goes, when he goes yeah. down with a ship yeah. and he's throwing the, the, the sign around it's nighttime and he's, he doesn't even realize he's not even around people. And he does the, the salute as the ship goes down. I was laughing my butt off. I absolutely hated the ending, but yeah, the, the, the ending where you're supposed to have that payoff oh, of so. the character realizes this is what I've been missing was that I wasn't spo- like listeners. This is a spoiler. Like the, it's a big spoiler. The main character, you feel like the entire time is supposed to have this revelation of my purpose in life was that I inspire other people was that I, yeah, I wasn't supposed to be the jazz player. I was supposed to be the jazz, jazz teacher. teacher. I'm supposed to be this influential force in other people's lives to get them to realize the passion that they have because of the passion that I have and that he's not supposed to be the jazz player. And that never happens. <laughs> that never comes instead. It's just up. Oh, nope. I'm going to live life to the fullest because I suddenly had this realization that even though I finally got my dream, like, like that, and I thought it was supposed to ha- I thought it was going to happen after he realized that his dream wasn't everything he thought it would be. When he realized the next day you were just going to do the same thing. And instead the revelation is, Oh, even though the next day I'm going to do the next, you know, going to do the same thing. He's still going to pursue music. I'm assuming is that, you know, you need to live life. I looked around going, did I miss something? Rewound the movie, rewatched that whole section and went, no, they just, they didn't go anywhere. They just didn't take it anywhere. They, they literally just stopped here. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it's because of production restraints for animation because I mean, it's well animated. Uh, The fact that they were having to do this all while COVID was going on and finishing up the film, they did an excellent job. Uh, The animators, phenomenal work. But in the end, 
I feel like story-wise, it missed the mark. And that's what really brought it down. And that's why when, you know, you brought up the fact that you thought it was going to be about jazz, I had like Loach thought the same thing. He was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be all about jazz. It's going to be about music and all this stuff. Nope. No, it's not. So don't, don't go in with that expectation. Go in expecting to see a movie that's really actually bland. Uh, and maybe you'll come away and go, that was fun. Hopefully you come away and that, say that was fun. Yeah, I mean, it's still a feel-good movie, but not not to the same caliber. Yeah, like I did with Wonder Woman 84. I walked away and went, well, that was fun. I didn't, I, I again, listeners, I didn't, I, I think it's a bad story. <laughs> but, but it was fun. I, you know, I had, I had a good time in it. There were things that were cool. There was some cool action sequences and it had some fun humor. Soul, there was some cool parts. And I went, all right, neat. <laughs> and I was just really let down. <laughs> like I went on that, uh, that Hagrid's ride at uh, Universal with Shana. Like, that was fun. I'm never fucking doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Was that the one where like you guys waited forever? Yeah, like three fucking hours. Yeah. And yeah. you went on it and it was it was actually kind of short. Yeah, I mean, you know, most rides are, but most rides are, but Yeah, it, it was fine. It was fun, but it's not worth the the wait <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, my last note to everyone is that stop giving Walmart credit for stopping 20 million <laughs> scalpers from getting consoles. That is horseshit. Listeners, that is complete bullshit. It is infuriating to hear this, listeners. Walmart didn't do dick. They didn't do shit to stop scalpers. And let me explain why really quick. Because when they say we stopped 20, we stopped 20 million attempts. You did not stop 20 million attempts. 20 million attempts were canceled because your website crashed. You didn't have enough inventory and the limitations of your site alone. So 20 million attempts were canceled on your website, not because you were actively stopping them, but because of instances of limitations. And if you're going to take credit for that, you're also going to need to take credit for stopping you know, millions of legitimate customers trying to get a Bingo. console. <laughs> exactly. So Walmart, stop tooting your own horn. And I hope to God the rest of the community stops doing it too, because you are full of shit. Stop lying to people. Barbara, don't forget uh, your, your, your best news story as of late, the uh, shipping container. Oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> with a half no, that, a million that, that, 30 eighties, that was a, that was a joke. <laughs> Like I, 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 I did I communicate that well? No, did I? Did I, it was legitimately a joke? Did I communicate that? I didn't. I. I yeah. Okay. It was, I, joke. it was actually it was actually a joke. So uh, there was lots of people who were sitting there going, "Oh my gosh!" Tw-. They found five hundred thousand. Uh, uh, supposedly, like listeners, listen, hear me out. It's not real. First of all, I want to point this out. Not real. But they found five. Let's see. There was a report that said that they had found five hundred thousand RTX cards. <laughs> NVIDIA uh, cards just sitting in a shipping container. And I went like the moment I heard it, I went found like quotes. I'm like, give me a fucking break. That, that never happened. Like you guys are full of shit. This never happened. Uh, and I just laughed. I started thinking, and I started thinking about like, 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 could you imagine that finding 
500,000 cards just in a shipping container. Like where they, they had a shipping container and they just abandoned it. And I'm like, if somebody abandoned, if somebody had a shipping container, and they abandoned it with no manifest. Someone would open that up and go, what the fuck's in here? Well, not only that, can you imagine from the company standpoint, if you misplaced a half million stock of that yeah. tech? <laughs> so listeners, the, jo- the, the joke is from Spain. Spain had their all fool's day, which their all fool's day is, uh, in December. And I don't know what the significance as to why they have it on this day, but they, they do. And that's when they celebrate theirs. It's kind of like our, our April fools. So Spain had their all fools day and they put out an article claiming that a, a shipping container holding, and I wouldn't know how a shipping container would hold this many, but it was really funny. The number they chose, they just decided to pull out of their ass 500,000 graphics cards that were in a shipping container, supposedly. Um, from Samsung, uh, for, for NVIDIA graphics cards. When I saw it, I was like, this is bullshit, but it was funny to, to think about was like, could you imagine them finding these things? And so that's where our, our conversation led, but people legitimately thought that this was real for one. And it pissed off tons of people. Uh, because they were like, how could they fucking do that? You know, Samsung should be fired. They shouldn't be allowed to make these graphics cards anymore. And I just went, okay, well, it's not real, but it's funny. Uh, and the, the amount of media that picked it up and and ran with it. So listeners, there was no 500,000 cards that were found (laughs) somewhere. That'd be the equivalent of like, could like Sony had misplaced 200,000, uh, PlayStation five orders. And instead of fulfilling them, they sold them to scalpers. (laughs) Those things didn't happen. Just like Walmart never stopped 20 million, (laughs) million scalpers. The difference is is that Walmart legitimately believes that they did. And they think that you're going to believe it too. And I wanted to point out that that never happened either. They, they never stopped anyone. They haven't done shit. Just like every other retailer, they've allowed scalpers to just, run rampant and buy as many. And we know this for a fact. Why listeners? Because since November, it's been tracked that 75,000 consoles overall have been sold by scalpers. That's just consoles. That's not graphics cards have been sold by scalpers at a, at a rate of about anywhere between a thousand to 1200 bucks. That means that they made about $70 million from consoles alone. So how how many of those consoles actually you know when they sold them how many consoles actually made it in the in the hands of regular people uh clearly not a lot most of them are obviously being held on by scalpers um and people are buying them so scalpers aren't going to go away any anytime soon you know so uh these retailers really either going to have to step up their game and really do something to prevent this and stop trying to make themselves sound like they're actually doing something when they're not because Walmart doesn't have a capture system. So how the fuck did they, how the fuck would they stop 20 million scalpers? Tell me one of their website is sophisticated enough to do that. It's not, it's bullshit. So they need to do something. Best Buy needs to do something. Best Buy still doesn't have a, have a system in place to stop it. Uh, new egg, new egg who consistently lies just like Walmart about stopping scalpers. New egg, you're full of shit. You haven't done anything. Just admit that you don't want to because that's the, it just no it costs you guys money. There's no incentive to because you're still selling these systems. You're still selling, selling out of them. So there's no incentive for them to, to stop. 
listeners. They're still making money. These yeah. these scalpers aren't going to suddenly return thousands of product. That's the equivalent of uh, the joke that I can't remember what uh, what company it was. I want to say it was like uh, King Supers or Safeway that a customer had somehow obtained. I want to say it was a thousand rolls of toilet paper and tried to return them when he realized that people weren't going to buy all of his toilet paper. So he tried to return like it was a King supers. Yeah. He tried to return them and the manager told him, go fuck yourself. Almost quite literally live with your (laughs) fucking purchase. Yeah. Live with your purchase. Sorry. We're not going to, we're not buying them back. You bought them in bulk because of a, for a reason. And now you're going to have to live with toilet paper because you didn't make, you didn't make any money off of it. The same thing is happening with scalpers. If scalpers wanted to return all those consoles, those retailers are going to say, no, you, you can't do this. You've already, you, you, for one, you were only supposed to have ownership of one at a time. So you're, you're breaking store policy. And two, if you're trying to return them all, we're not going to take them. You made your purchase. You're going to have to live with it. So the fact that people are buying from these scalpers is proof to scalpers that they're not going to stop. So the scalpers aren't going to stop and retailers aren't going to do anything to stop it because they keep selling out of them. So if they keep selling out of the product, it's a never ending cycle of bullshit that you and I have to deal with. We could very well be stuck without a console or, you know, if you're looking, trying, trying to get the current gen consoles, you could be stuck without one until probably about April, which case if, you know, if nothing's coming out by then, if nothing's really coming out, that's actually needed for the uh, current generation other than cyberpunk. Maybe just wait. I don't know. Wait for the pro editions. Yeah. Th- this whole thing is just fucking bonkers. And the hilarity uh, that's stacked on top of it is the fact that the UK is now having to step in and say, we might need to make it illegal to scalp products just because stores aren't doing anything. <laughs> and I went, when, when your government has like, it's never good listeners. We've said this over and over again, never good when your government has to get involved when governments have to get involved with what businesses should be preventing themselves, not good. And we we talked about this with loot boxes, but when businesses refused to intervene and refused to change policy, refused to do anything about it, governments having to get involved with that. We're seeing this around the world. And because it's happening around the world, EA and places like that are having to rethink how they, how they do loot boxes. They're having to rethink how they do their games uh, when it comes to even the U.S., because it's easier to create things globally than it is for just one country, as we've witnessed with China, we'll pander to this one country and just make it a global change because that's easier to deal with. So it's easier to deal with in loot boxes as well. It's going to be easier to deal with in scalpers as well if these companies don't, if these these businesses don't get their act together and start and start doing something about it, because when the government's going to get going to have to get involved, not good things. Not great things because those regulations can easily be turned on the people that are innocently just trying to sell you things, even if it's just, you know, a mom and pop shop like, oh, we're going to, you know, we'll we'll sell you something that's at marked at value instead of MSRP. Only else I got left to talk about is uh, you want to switch gears is Wonder Woman. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Um, So. Really quick to get the the easy part of that out of the way, listeners. Wonder Woman eighty uh, four is not a woke movie, <laughs> like like we've been seeing. Some people mentioned, some people have said it's woke trash and it's SJW cra- trash. It's not. It it really isn't. It's just it really isn't. It's just not a very good movie, <laughs> to be honest. I, it's not a very it's not a very well no. told story. I think it's a very run of the mill superhero movie. 
Yeah. It's very bland yeah. in reality. Two and a half hour movie that went on for an hour longer yep. than it should have. Uh, should have been, should have been easily a 90 minute film based off the plot alone. Listeners. Um, yeah, the things that we see to have made the film better is all to do with story. Um, they made, you know, the, the promotional images, the, uh, fact that they have this whole thing of like her and this gold, you know, the gold armor with the wings and shit, uh, that should have been played up a little bit more. Yeah. The importance of the um, armor should have been way more of a factor. Yeah. The, uh, so the movie starts out with this flashback of Diana's girl, uh, as a little girl. What and they ass. mentioned this, this war, this warrior and she's, you know, and stuff like that. And while I understand the lesson behind that is important as to the person she becomes to me, it didn't need to be restated because the person who she is, we already know she's a good person. We know this from the first film alone. Um, yeah. So that flashback, instead of it being her, of her as a little girl, it sh- in my opinion, it should have been the story of that first warrior of one of the greatest warriors who had the armor, why the armor was made, what they had to go through. And it should have shown that person having to go through uh, the battle that they did in order to make sure that the women of uh, the Amazon women could leave, that they could be whisked away and and hidden away from the men of the world. Especially for the actress that chose for that role. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so listeners, we're trying to do this without giving spoilers away. Uh, so that should have been like the beginning of the film should have had that as the main focus uh, to begin with. And then go from that, uh, from a cut scene of that uh, past, uh, you know, of, of showing what happened then and go to Diana meeting Barbara at a dig because uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, Anderson, but Barbara was a anth- er, uh, anthropologist uh, and archaeologist, correct? Yeah. Ah, oh, God. Um, we want to bring this and up. They, <laughs> they should have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. Uh, and the reason is because listeners, they should have had, they should have, the, I'm telling you this essentially listeners, how the story should have gone before we go into what spoilers happened? for the film. Um, so she, from she there, it should have gone, it should have gone to Barbara and her meeting at a dig where they discover the armor that should have led to, the importance of the armor and why Diane, you know, essentially has so much focus on it. Like why, why it's used later on in the film that that should have set that whole thing well, up. They should have gotten more in depth into that. one. Yeah. And then, and maybe added a certain curse. Yeah. To and it. then after that, move on to Barbara, you know, this, this, this could have set up the entire relationship relationship between Barbara and Diana is them, them finding this armor and, the importance of why it's why the armor is so important to Diana and how that helps her bond with Barbara. That's really where that friendship should have come from is from that. And then move forward and just show, you know, kind of time, kind of time lapse and show they're, they're still friends today and Barbara's on another dig. Diana's at the museum and Barbara tells her about a new discovery. And this leads to cheetah. Essentially well, finding the statue, finding the statue and mystically becoming cheetah. And it doesn't go that route at all. Well, <laughs> well, it's really, really, really and bad. The modernized comic, it's Barbara disregarding Diana's advice of just stop and wait until I get there. She was like, no, I'm going to do this without you. 
and yeah, the comics. That's, yeah. But but that's not unu- that's not unusual in any of the DC the versions yeah. of Cheetah. Like the versions of Cheetah typically come from Barbara being who is friends with Diana. They're 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 friends for quite a while and Barbara doesn't listen and goes ahead and does something or gets involved in something and that's what and leads to her becoming this person. She can't unreverse. Yeah, and that's how this should have gone. And this should lead to why, you know, how Barbara ends up becoming Cheetah ends up becoming a more animalistic person and ends up becoming the one of the arch nemesis for Wonder Woman. Like this is now Cheetah is that strong in the comics. This is the Mandarin, essentially, of Wonder Woman. This is this is the arch nemesis. And they don't go that route at all, listeners. They go a completely ass backwards route that adds a bizarre an route. hour and some out of film <laughs> for no reason to create this weird plot line that we all sat there going, what was this? Like, what is the point of this film? And I got to say for my review, obviously wasn't a fan of wonder woman 84. Uh, it was, wasn't a bad movie. Uh, I had a good time. It was, it was, it was fun for what it was, but it was a lot longer than it needed to be. And it just wasn't a very good story. No, I think I went in with my expectations too high. I was, yeah, miles, miles came away and went meh. Like I was like, wow. So keep in mind, listeners, miles saw it before I did. He posted his, his point of view on it. And that all of my expectations for the movie. And I was really looking forward to one room were deleted gone <laughs> got brought yeah, down like, like instantaneous <laughs> and it yeah. and that was probably probably for the best uh for for my best uh viewing experience was not having the expectations that i had for wonder woman 84 was because i really loved i loved the first movie i thought it was so great and i was really looking forward to the next one yeah the first movie is fantastic and it's got the same director this one was giving me a lot of the i mean i know it's different different uh company different writing and directing obviously uh but it it felt like from the trailers that this was going to have kind of a thor ragnarok feel i was like all right cool i'm totally fucking down for that not even fucking going no uh they were they definitely tried (laughs) yeah they definitely tried for the this is an a this is supposed to be an 80s style kind of film but it's yeah. 80s style in the fact that it's almost a commentary on the 80s rather than just being an 80s film. Yeah. It just takes yeah. place during that time. Um, yeah. And that's where things kind of miss the mark. Uh, so listeners from here on, we're going to have spoilers. So if you have not watched Wonder Woman 84 and you don't want it ruined for you, just know that Miles telling me that it was really bad brought my expectations massively low. And when I say massively low, I mean, I had no expectations going in expecting to be good at all. And I walked away going, okay, that was fun. That was good. It was good. It wasn't great. I wasn't blown away. And by no means would I ever say it was anything close to the first film. In reality, I think it was, uh, it was better than justice league, which isn't hard to do. It was probably about on par with Batman versus Superman. So keep that in mind <laughs> when I say that. Think of how many people hated Batman versus Superman. That's where I put it. So I was about to say the bar for me is Shazam, the first Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, and then everything else is. I I love Man of Steel, but but I think Miles saying Meh, let me know to go with low expectancies. <laughs> 
the argument I would make for this being worse than uh, Batman vs Superman or uh, Justice League is at least those movies propagated story. <laughs> Whereas this one didn't I need guess, to exist. Uh, at if all. you want to call Batman vs Superman story, <laughs> oh, I mean, keep man. in mind, listeners, I had I I had expected my expectations for Batman vs Superman were dog shit. Oh yeah, never <laughs> So uh, that's why I was like, well, my expectations were about the same when I went into Wonder Woman 84 at this point. So I came out going, eh, it was about as good. As soon as they came out with the, the title labeling Batman v Superman, I was like, well, this oh, is going to be dog God. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Batman v Superman. That's why I made fun of it for fucking ever. Batman yeah. loves Superman. The best scene in the entire movie is when Batman's in that warehouse whooping up on everybody. Oh, God. I love that moment. Still, I've I've rewatched that scene alone at least eight times. But without being seeing a super the whole nerd thing. and just <laughs> how they went with the story, and then immediately jump over the doomsday. I've wanted to run over yeah. and just start fucking slapping every exec <laughs> I can find. But like yeah. I said, that's that's the only argument I would make against. Uh, yeah, that's Wonder Woman eighty four being any better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. So, listeners, spoilers ahead. Oh. We're th- this is it. So, if you uh, don't want to hear it, we're we're good to go. We will see you next week, and hopefully, next week we'll do our uh, 2020 review. We're gonna get the bad out of the way first, <laughs> and then we'll do our then we'll do our uh, you know games and movies of the year after that for the uh, the next pod or the podcast after that. Miles, you may so. have to reel us into this conversation since you're gonna have two comic book nerds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Wonder Woman 84. Uh, God, dude. Um, where do I start? Um, uh, fucking Maxwell Lord trying to become okay. a dream master. Yeah. Max, <laughs> Maxwell becomes the, the dream master, uh, essentially. Um, he literally, like, they take the oh, mystical of, of the dream stone and trying to bring in how wish uh, like so in DC and in this is true in, in a lot of lore is that wish magic is ultimately one of the worst forms of magic. And the fact that anytime you make a wish, it usually takes something away or it has to borrow from something else. Like it, you can't have something without nothing or with, with nothing. There's always uh, there's always a price to be paid with with wish magic. I mean, I, that's a that's even a theme amongst Jen. Um, I want to reel back a little more. Go ahead. So, listeners, if you not know who Maxwell Lord is in the comics, he is a Superman villain known as the Toy Maker. But in modern yep. days, he's basically the guy who makes the weapons for the bad guys. Yep. And in this movie, he's he the evil Tony becomes, Stark. He becomes the Dream Master, like those nineteen nineties film movies. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. <sighs> oh, okay. Now I can. His whole thing, yeah. So his whole thing, yeah. His whole thing is that he is an '80s, the '80s businessman, and it seems very, very uh, similar to someone else we've seen in in public view. But uh, it's very reminiscent to a lot of the stuff that I used to see back in the '80s of people promising riches and uh, wealth that were basically just shysters. They were setting up, you know, pyramid schemes and shit like that. Uh, that's who his, his character is heavily modeled on. And instead of being a, a you know, an inventor that can create, uh, you know, essentially is the Tony, you know, instead of being the Tony Stark of, of villains, uh, basically, he's just this oil, you know, a supposed oil baron who actually has nothing. He has no money. His company's failing. And he has this knowledge somehow that they don't fully explain of a wish stone. 
that was left here by one of the gods that uh, Wonder Woman Diana knows and knows to be a trickster. So he wants to find the stone and you, you assume the entire time that he wants to get the stone just to save his business or to, to do something. Nope. He ends up wishing that he was the stone essentially becoming what Anderson says, a wish master. Um, and as a result, one of his, you know, one of, one of the things that happens during the story of them trying to find the stone and stuff, Barbara comes across the stone and after knowing, after meeting Diana and seeing how cool she is, she basically wishes that she was Diana. She was like Diana, which means she wants to be like Wonder Woman, which means she wants to have her abilities and stuff like that. That's how, that's how it first progresses. But because it's wish magic, wish, wish magic, it has to take away something, right? So in her case, it's going to take away her humanity, uh, not by making her cheetah right away. Listeners, that doesn't happen till later and makes zero fucking sense. Uh, as to why it happens, but uh, essentially it's taking away the uh, ki- her kindness that she's always had and turns her into a complete raving bitch. Uh, so <laughs> I say raving isn't crazy. She's just, you know, going she, to be more power hungry than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from there, the story kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Like there, there's a lot of really stupid stuff in Diana. Her wish is obviously that she wants her boyfriend back. Um, so Steve and Steve comes back and is inhabiting the body of another person, which made zero sense because my first thought was, well, that guy didn't do anything to you or anyone else. So why the fuck was he inhabiting somebody else's body? How does that happen? How does that even fucking work? Because it's wish magic. It's supposed to take something away, right? Well, this set up me, this set me up going, okay, well, I guess since it's wish magic, it has to take something away. So the entire time I'm thinking that the reason why Diana is becoming weaker is because the stones taking away Diana's abilities and giving them to Barbara and Diana made a wish that caused this other guy to lose his life. And now Steve is inhabiting his life. So that's where that, that's where my miscommunication comes from because I still don't understand how Steve was there in the first place. If all the wish was for was just to bring him back. Yeah. Why wouldn't he just brought him back own fucking body? Yeah. Why wouldn't he be there in his own fucking body? Just back alive there as himself like that, that makes no sense. And they're like, Oh, well the, I guess the reasoning is like, Oh, well he would be, you know, he'd be an old man or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's a wish. It's literally fucking magic. So the logic point goes away entirely at that point. And you putting him into another body for her to hashtag me too. Makes no fucking <laughs> sense. Like listeners, I, I'm not joking when I like it's, it's funny. It is, it is a joke, it is but funny. at the same time, it, at the same time, like, no, nobody freaked out over the fact, like, if if this had been a woman and another person had inhabited another woman's body for this, for, for a guy, like, let's say Wonder Woman was a guy instead, and he had slept with that woman, you know, in Steve's position, essentially, uh, the, the person who inhabited that body would, would, is essentially being raped. They're not giving their consent. They never gave their consent for their body to be used for for sex or anything like that but 
nobody freaked out. Like nobody, nobody pointed this out to the, to the producers. And I sat there going, really? Like no, no one in woke ass Hollywood brought this up to you guys. The fact that you're literally hashtagging hashtag me tooing this guy. He has, he, he doesn't have any, any recollection of sleeping with Diana. He doesn't know that he slept with her. And their reasoning behind is, Oh, well she only sees Steve. I'm like, well, that's not what he sees. So clearly it's the other person. Right. Uh, that whole thing of, you know, that's a double being able to if see you're a straight who, guy. You can't be a victim. So. Yeah, it, it's absolutely. So <laughs> I just said, I'm like, man, like fucking come on guys. Uh, you could, you, the, the whole thing was just completely batshit dumb. Oh yeah. And it created this, this complete disconnect as to how wish magic was working in the, in the show. And then finally they, they boiled down to like, Oh no. Uh, uh, Barbara was clearly made the wish for Diana's powers. And as a result, the thing that was taken from her was what she valued most, which was her, her humanity. Uh, Diana made the wish for her boyfriend. And the thing that she valued most other than that was her power, her ability. And so that was being taken away from her. I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, that, and like, it, you think about it too, Barbara kind of got two wishes <laughs> and it's only supposed to work once. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing is the fact that when she when she meets uh, Maxwell, it's he suddenly goes, oh well, you know, I can grant you more wishes, which is not how any of it works, uh, because he he clearly shows that or, or later when he's talking to one of his interns or a person that works for him and asks him to wish for him to be able to meet with the president right away, and the guy and he says you already made a wish, and the guy asked for a Porsche, so obviously it doesn't work twice. The guy had already made a wish, so he can't give him another wish. And he tells Barbara that, oh, I'm feeling generous. I was like, what the fuck? Like, and somehow the way that he does this is by transferring his uh, ability to take somebody's health and power and whatever and gives it to Barbara, which somehow that translates into Barbara becoming cheetah, becoming more animalistic. And I went. I went, what the fuck? Like this proved, and I have to say, I have to agree with, I, I, I recently saw angry Joe's review, his first statement about, uh, Patty, uh, what's her name? Jenkins, the director and writer Jenkins. Uh, she has no grasp as to how the DC universe works and how, uh, this, this should have been written as a story. She kind of just, I want to create a moral of the story, which is be careful what you wish for instead of creating a good movie, a good story. And that's, that's the thing listeners is I'm, I'm critiquing her writing, not her direction. She's a very good director as proof from wonder woman. The first wonder woman she did brilliantly, but it was written by five different people. And this one was primarily written by her and it was bad. It's just poorly constructed, badly put together, made zero fucking sense as to how things were laid out. And because, because of that, that's why you're seeing people saying it's trash and stuff like that. I think people are taking it too far with a, it's woke. It's not woke. It's just not good. It literally is just not good. Like I, I didn't get woke messaging in there. The only thing that really kind of came across that maybe that way was, you know, miles, you pointed this out before was Wonder Woman's statement about, I hate guns. Yeah, in the in the initial beginning, 
the yeah, initial beginning. that, and there's a little bit of the, you know, super late on uh, women empowerment thing, but it, that was kind of used to show uh, Barbara taking things too fucking far. So, yeah, yeah it, it's all really passable. I mean, it's not in your face by any means. It's certainly not. Uh, I didn't like the movie, uh, but I didn't hate it either. Um, it's certainly not something I would say woke trash, you know? Yeah. I didn't feel like I was being preached to. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, it's just not. It just wasn't a very good movie. It wasn't a very good story. No, literally uh, the best parts to me were Steve seeing all the new technology and reacting to it. Uh, yeah. It was fucking hilarious. No one great. telling him that the Germans came back and, and started world <laughs> war two 30 years after he had put it <laughs> yeah. to bed. Um, and then the, the after credit scene, I was like, all right, that's cool. Yeah. You know, those were the best parts to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is just, it, it was, it, it felt like the whole movie was, a bunch of missed opportunities mixed in with some fun parts. Yeah. You know, her fighting the security team in Saudi, it was Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Egypt. Uh, sorry, Egypt. You're correct. Um, yeah. Uh, her fighting the security team in Egypt, uh, the, uh, even the, the, the mall openings. Okay. It's not great (laughs) listeners. It's, it is a far cry from what we got in wonder woman. Like I, I, I thought one of the greatest, uh, uh, cuts that I saw was somebody showing a comparison of like how Wonder Woman was treated with violence and fighting and her abilities in the first film versus this one at the very beginning uh, when she's in the mall and they show, you know, in the first film, like she was just balls to the wall, like beat the shit out of people and people were like, Oh, well like, the funniest response was like, Oh, well uh, of course those were Nazis. No, there weren't that they weren't Nazis in world war one guys. Uh, they were just the Germans. Yeah, um, the Ottoman Empire. So yeah, th- that statement goes out the window. So she just beat the shit out of them because they were going to try and kill her. Uh, and the second one, it's treated very differently. She's like, oh, I'm so, she's solely against guns. She's solely against, you know, seems solely against killing people. And I'm sitting there going, this is an Amazon. Like she was a Banff. <laughs> in the first one she was a bamf in uh you know batman batman versus superman what justice. the hell happened yeah. like what well, yeah in the justice league like what happened why is this being treated this way and at first i was like maybe it's just because she's, she it's the 80s but it's it, it is a very different feel even from that first scene yeah that whole uh, when you go to felt. the security team Fucking, yeah. you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to me. It's so goddamn floaty. Could not stand it. <laughs> floaty physics. Uh, it wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't even ultra realism. It was just fucking weird choreography, odd, uh, odd choices for how things worked out. Like when she kicked that or she hits that guy and he hits the, uh, the, the, the giant drum and then spins oh. around in the, uh, the uh, ring. Like, uh, like I was like, like that when I went back and rewatched that part, I was like, man, that, what the fuck? Really? Like, this is how you decided. This is how we decided to do the opening scene. And then when you fast forward through the movie and go to that part where she's fighting the security force, dude, again, it's back to, like for that part. She's almost back to form. Like, almost, it's almost yeah. back to the way you should be having Wonder Woman. Not quite, but 
But at least it's explained at that point. At least it's explained at that point in time. Like she doesn't have her full strength. She doesn't have her full abilities. So it's her, you know, winging it as much as she can with what she has. And she's still kicking ass. It's just not as much as you expect. But the beginning makes zero fucking sense. After watching that comparison of the two miles, I sat there going, okay, yeah, I, I literally can't, can't justify that mall opener. Yeah. But to say it doesn't follow its own universe rules at all. No. Uh I mean it just doesn't it doesn't follow the character <laughs> really well, like what the character would do. Um You know what one thing that kept bugging me was how fucking long is that lasso? Uh the Sweet Jesus. Uh, the, the lasso truth? Yeah. Oh, it can be it can it's literally it literally changes shit or changes size. Okay. So I'm sitting there like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Did she just swing it at something like six thousand yards away? Yeah, it literally it literally (laughs) changes size one throughout the movie and two even in comic books. Like now another scene that kind of turned my brain on that really pissed me off. It's one of those things of like it's it's a last it's literally called the lasso of truth. I'm not gonna bring in logic when it comes to like how long is that fucking piece of rope. Yeah, uh, I didn't mind I didn't mind them using that to kind of explain how she obtains flight. I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, I can get into that. I was like, it's fine. Yeah, I, f- I felt like that whole thing was just kind of. All right. Well, it, it's it is what it is because I I okay. You'll have to remind me, Anderson. Do, at the end of Wonder Woman, and I still haven't gone back to watch it. The end of the the original Wonder Woman. Does she fly? Damn near. Close when she's fighting it. war. She's doing the Hulk jumps. Like, was it okay? Yeah. You're right, then Miles. Because yeah. <laughs> I sat there, I'm like I could have sworn she flew. I said I was pretty sure it was it was just <laughs> leaping, but uh, yeah. But okay. Anyways, uh, I interrupted what you were gonna say. I, yeah. I was I was gonna laugh my ass off because I, I was gonna point out that we both had the same reaction. Like that's not how radar works. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> the invisible the invisible plane. Oh man, it was a great reference to the original Wonder yeah, Woman comic absolutely. books and the original cartoons and stuff. Uh, where she had an invisible plane. That's how she used to get around. She didn't have the you know the ability of flight. Um. They change that because of convenience and, you know, it makes it a little bit easier to have her fly just on her own than having to get into a plane every fucking time she needed to go somewhere. Makes sense for comic books. The invisible plane for. okay, so there's there was multiple points where my brain turned on during the movie and my dad (laughs) even did it. Uh, And it was almost impossible for me to ignore. They go to the Smithsonian to pick up a plane. First of all, you're going to the Smithsonian to pick up a plane. No planes in the Smithsonian, not one, no air museum in the world keeps a full, a fully fueled jet of any kind in their facilities or on their property. One, it's illegal. Two, they also gut out their engines. So there's, it's just a shell. There's no engine inside them. It's how they're able to hang them from the ceilings and how they're able to easily move them in and out. (laughs) of the buildings you don't think they turn on the fucking jet engines while they they guide them out of the fucking hangars or anything right like that that's bunkers so when that happened i was like okay i'll shut my brain off for this as much as i can and then when they took off and miles said it that's not how radar works (laughs) (laughs) when they took off and they made the plane invisible 
and she says that she's making the plane invisible so that they that radar can't see them anymore. Radar works off of radio waves, listeners. Radar bounces these waves off of objects, and when they come back to whatever receiving towers we have, that is how you get a blip on radar. That is why it's kind of like echolocation in a way. And when you turn something invisible, it does not stop something from bouncing off of it. You simply can't visually see it anymore. That you're talking about bending light versus an actual physical object. Uh, Radar can pick up glass. So at no point should radar work this way as they show in the film. And I lost it when that happened. (laughs) Like my brain clicked on. Like I was my brain was already on. Keep in mind from the, the them picking up a plane at the Smithsonian. And as soon as that happened, my brain went, fuck you. (laughs) Like I went full berserk in my head. It went, that is not how radar works. Like who the fuck doesn't know this? (laughs) Uh, It's just funny too. Cause we, we've seen so many movies, especially bad movies, uh, where the concept of radar is just not understood clearly. (laughs) Right. I was like, dear God, guys. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's an it, invisible jet, not a fucking ghost jet. <laughs> yeah. If if it became that, they'd fall out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's no longer a physical object. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, she used magic to turn it invisible, then it cuts to the fucking radar screen. I'm like, what? <laughs> just lots of stuff that we were just was just adding up and we were just like, what the fuck? And when it came to the rescind, you know, I, I resent, I rescind my wish. Uh, you know, I was like, Oh man, I, this is just not a good plot. Like the whole, the whole idea of it centering around wish, uh, wish magic. And that being the, essentially the main villain of the entire film. Is this really a job for wonder woman? <laughs> like, was this really a job for Wonder Woman? Did you guys not figure out that the whole thing, like when they had her, they have her put on the gold armor for like a second. It feels like she has it for four minutes for yeah, a fight. Fucking useless. It was pointless to have that pointless armor made no sense why it was in there at all. <laughs> it, it can stand up against, you know, the legions of Sparta from the the beginning of the fucking movie, but uh, you know one giant cat lady. <laughs> yeah, it's it gets fucked up instantly. Yeah. Like, turns into fucking aluminum foil. The fact that the whole time Diana just like crawled up into an ass ball with it. <laughs> I was like, turtle. what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. yeah, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why aren't you turtle. fighting back? You wait for her to tire the fuck out. I think you're gonna be there a minute. Yeah. So the scene leading up to her getting the armor, yeah, that's one of the parts that my brain did not shut up. So it leads off to her leaving her place to get to the White House, you know, to go get a Maxwell. Yeah. So that, like, to me, presumes because like, they went by foot. I was like, maybe like three or four miles, right? From that scene, she decides to go fly off in the air for the next ten minutes and then get back to her apartment to get the armor. Right. <laughs> that was weird. 
I that like, you're you're absolutely spot on. That is weird. My brain's like, are you an asshole? Like you're like, fuck this. I'm really flying the deal. Yeah, because <laughs> forgive me if I'm wrong. Like she and Steve were in the in the street in yeah. Washington, went by foot where she where she lives to the White House. Yeah, and then she flies uh, around and then gets her apartment or gets yeah. The she armor. she learns <laughs> she learns to fly. Does the whole fist out Superman deal? Does that for like a good solid two minutes of film. And at some point decides to fly back to her apartment to grab the armor, to go back to trying to find Maxwell. Oh no, she does that. Then they go, she decides to go to fly to Florida to go fight. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Florida or was it Hawaii? I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. It was, it was ridiculous regardless, regardless, but like I I don't know what was happening. The armor I felt like was placed in there just for comic book reference. Like that that was the whole thing. Like oh well we're gonna reference the gold armor. Well great. And again uh, that's also another huge pothole because it, it, it was it wasn't centrally needed. It, it never explains <laughs> how she got the armor in the first place. No, she just says she got in a dig. That was all. That's all she said. She found she found it years ago at a dig. And, yeah, but then again, we know that and it's had, on. And had it ever since. Yeah. And she couldn't find the original warrior that had it because, the, you know, as we know, listeners, the uh, Amazons live exceedingly long lives, even amongst man. They're damn near um, immortal. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're damn near immortal. Uh, regular, the regular Amazon women age exceedingly slow. Uh, Diana will never age at all because she's part God. That's never really explained in the movies, but. Anyways, the the fact is, is that the warrior would still be around on Earth if they if they were alive. So she doesn't find her, and then they had that really they have that really cool reference of showing um, Linda Carter, Linda Carter, the original Wonder Woman, uh, is it turns out she's the owner of the armor. I was like, man, ser- like talk about a waste, really squandering uh, uh, a cool a cool story and cameo for her like they they kind of wanted it like uh, they concealed it like they're like oh we're gonna have this big reveal well yeah it was a cool reveal but wouldn't it have been cooler to have seen them use that you know the, the ability of de-aging technology showing linda carter back when the amazons were retreating from man make her like the first super and, badass amazon and make her the first badass amazon the you know kind of the thing that carries legend for why the Amazons were seen as such, you know, awesome warriors. Asteria. And yeah, absolutely. And, and go from there of like, okay, the, the thing that's going to focus on, this is why the armor is important. And that's why I was listeners. That's, that's why I was telling you listeners earlier, they should have focused on the armor to begin with. Had that been the, the archeological dig where she meets Barbara from there, Barbara on another, you know, on another dig finds the, you know, whatever, whether it's a statue or a medallion or whatever that turns her into cheetah. And that's how she ends up having this, uh, disc, you know, where, where she's a, a, has these powers and it slowly turns her into the monster that she becomes and the enemy, uh, against wonder woman and why wonder woman ends up you know, her abilities of the fact that, yes, in, in the comic books, listeners, uh, Cheetah can actually harm. Well, Cheetah is essentially the host she's, of a vengeful god. <laughs> yeah. Claus. So a god versus a god. <laughs> 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 you know, 
it makes sense why they're able to harm one another, which would also explain why. Yep, and? absolutely. And it would have explained why Diana had to go back for the armor. It would explain why she needed that armor to fight her in the first place, because when she went back for the armor, she didn't know she was going to be a cheetah. <laughs> she didn't know she was going to be partially like an animal that doesn't ever come up until she's away. So she doesn't see what happens. So she has no reason for why she needs the armor in the first place, because if Barbara is simply as powerful as Diana, she wouldn't need the armor to begin with because she could just go fight her hand to hand and easily beat her. An angry ass furry. She, she, <laughs> yeah, it was going to be absolutely. It's going to be easier because Diana has the training of an Amazon or even better. <laughs> If she knew she was a cheetah, she could have went back to her apartment and then grabbed a jug of milk instead of the armor and brought it over and just poured it in the saucepan for cheetah. Yeah, here's some cream, (laughs) you know, saucer. There you go. I'm going to go and and fight fight Maxwell, who's apparently, you know, just a pushover. Or open up a bag of Cheetos for her. Person tie in. <laughs> then there's the moment where Maxwell's receiving all the wishes and for some reason somehow has the ability to push back uh, Wonder Woman oh, with yeah, that was weird shit. wish power. Like, what the fuck was happening there? Like, I had no idea where his abilities were coming from. Like, they were just a grab bag of bullshit I assumed it being was thrown out. Of like, oh, he, he, yeah, he's able to push wind towards her. I assumed he was just like cropped us in the shit out of that room, and that's why she was getting pushed back. Yeah, just, she was getting pushed back. She couldn't take it. Like that made no sense. Not on not on any scale of geekdom. Why he was able to do this? Yeah. And because of all of this, listeners, like because of everything we've just talked about, everything we, we like, there, I'm sure there's more if we continued to to analyze oh, it. We could break this, baby. but. Because because of all that stuff, like that made me instantly go, oh, man, Patty Jenkins does not know what she's doing with Wonder Woman. And this makes me a little concerned for Ro- or for Rogue Squadron. Um, the fact that she's one, the director, and they said that she's also a writer for it. And. Oof, like I listeners, I don't. I don't expect like, I'm not expecting it going going to go woke or anything like that. Like it's going to be entire, like a lot of people are saying that she's going to have like based off of no information. People are saying she's going to do an all female woes rogue squadron. I'm like, I, I don't care Uh, if that happens, that happens as long as it's good, it's good. But based off of her writing in wonder woman 84, it's not looking great because she doesn't know how to write a story. Right. Uh, it, listeners, I'm a fan and I can write better, better fan fiction than she can. I, I, honestly, listeners, my, my story that I've explained to you on how things should have been laid out is a thousand times better than what we saw. Would have been a better use of time at the very least. Yeah, the whole I, this whole the whole movie was just a complete fucking throwaway for me. Like, yeah, was, I really kind of wish it, it hadn't even been made. In all reality, just because how it really does for me, like there's but it really it really does bring credence to the DC, the DC idea that they had mentioned uh, a year back now, I think, um, when they said that they were no longer going to focus on creating a universe. They were just going to make random bullet like essentially what we saw was what we saw was exactly the promise that they made. We're just going to make random bullshit. You know, Miles the way you know the way you're talking about like you wish it hadn't been made i i have no interest in watching the rest of their 
their movies because of that. They, right. they don't wish to tell me a story. They don't wish to build anything up. They don't wish to create something. They're just going to tell us random bullshit. And I don't want to see you that. You can do fucking spinoff stories as long as it's actually a fucking story. Yeah. You know? And this just wasn't it. You know, when there's well over an hour's worth of content that did not need to be in the fucking movie. Why? Why bother? Yeah. And listeners, before you go to the place of like, oh, well, this this helped Diana grow. In what way did it help Diana grow? We've already had two other films that show Diana that she needs to be part of the world and not hide from it. Made her go through the exact same loss that she went through the previous fucking film or her her initial film. Like, what the fuck was was the point? Yeah, I I feel like Jonah Jameson (laughs) or not Jonah Jameson, but uh, uh, the the person he played, uh, I forget what it was. It was like, what, what did we learn? Not what do we learn? Oh, Nothing. from uh, Burn After Reading. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Burn After Reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that's exactly that's. I knew exactly where you're going. <laughs> like it, that that conversation of so what do we so what do we learn? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Don't do it again. Whatever it is that we Don't did. Don't do it again. <laughs> Whatever it is that we did. Why why did this need to happen? Like it didn't it didn't create character growth for it because listeners we already know based off of the other two movies that where where she learned that she can't hide from the world that she has to be who she is that she has to be wonder woman in the world we learned that in in the first wonder woman and we also learned that she needed to to not hide from the world in oh yeah batman versus superman yep so it, it, it when does batman versus superman happen again oh yeah after 1984 so wait she you're telling me that she doesn't learn her lesson from the first wonder woman she doesn't learn her lesson from uh, 1984 and still hides from the world again until Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Thumbs up, guys. Way to go. Way to know your stories. Good job. And that's why listeners, they're not going to be making a universe of DC because they, they don't they know how do to it. do it. Yeah, they can't. They do literally it. can't do it. They have they are not capable of making a a universe, a cohesive universe. So. Wonder Woman 84 is just throwaway, in my opinion. Doesn't even match doesn't match up with the first film in my in, in my opinion. So don't even watch it. Don't even bother. Yeah, I don't I, I don't I, I don't go so far as to call it trash and I absolutely fucking hate this movie and it's so bad. I it, that's why I sit on the position of it's just meh. Like what it's yeah, not good. <laughs> but uh it's kind of listeners, it is the Wonder Woman 84 is the Iron Man 3 of the DC cinematic universe. Uh, And if you guys don't know this, I hate Iron Man three. I hate it. Absolutely. Can't stand that movie. And I'm not going to tell you to hate it because I don't know. You might like it, but I can give you my reasoning for why I hate it. It doesn't push anything forward in at all in the MCU on any level. My Iron Man three does not push the story at all. It doesn't push anything forward with Tony Stark because for no reason, Tony Stark now has PTSD in Iron Man three out of nowhere. The guys lived through being imprisoned in Afghanistan to creating the Iron Man suit to fighting two super fucking two super villains and never had PTSD until he went to space briefly and almost died. The guy has almost died numerous times. Literally almost died like. Knew he was going to die. Did he get nano he armor in three? 
No. no. Then, yeah, then didn't do shit. Yeah, didn't do didn't shit. Do shit. Uh, and three, three was three was the one where he made umpteen dozen different Iron Man suits and then blew them all up at the end. Yeah, big fucking waste for <laughs> no reason. It did. I thought it, he had it, made a slightly better reactor uh, for his chest and three, nope, but I, that was I two. could be misremembering. Yeah, yeah, that was that was two. And no, three was the one where they you know they go through all this stuff and. He create, you know, in two, he creates the the better reactor that's going to heal his body that he no longer supposedly no longer needs cores for no longer needs to recharge. It's the new element that he creates to to do this. And that's what saves his life in two. And then three, they turn around and blow up all of his armor suits and then take the one thing that made him Iron Man in the first place, which is the chest piece. It was gone. Like three is the quintessential shitty fucking movie for the MCU. It makes no sense. It pushes no plot. It does. It doesn't do anything for, for the character, and it's completely ignorable. Listeners, if you don't believe me, go through the entire MCU without watching Iron Man three, and tell me that you needed Iron Man three. <laughs> you you could watch the entirety of the MCU and Iron and not watch Iron Man three, and it's completely fine. It's not needed. It's a not needed film. Wonder Woman eighty four. It's the same thing. Watch all of the DC universe with, you know, Iron, you know, Man of Steel. You could watch them in order and leave out Wonder Woman 84 and you don't need it. It doesn't do anything for the character. It's not needed. And it makes no sense as to why they did it this way. But that's what we have. I know we're extremely negative people, listeners, but. You know, keep in mind there are there are things that we that we geek out to. I geeked out to to Cobra Kai. I liked Cobra Kai a lot. The my only bummer was that it ended. <laughs> Literally, that's it. That's that's that was my bummer was that it ended. Not that it was a bad ending or anything like that. It was the fact that it just ended. I went, oh. <laughs> like that. That's my bummer for it is that it ended. It's it, you know it's it was a great show. Wonder Woman eighty four. The bummer is that it was made. <laughs> It, uh, the uh, quick quick circle around to it. Uh, you know, I I lowered Vargo's expectations for that movie, and so he was able to enjoy it more than I was. Yeah, uh, he did the same thing for me with Soul. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about movie. that. I forgot about that. We <laughs> needed to review Soul. I, I you know what, uh, Miles? What I'm going to do is I'm probably going to take this portion of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move it forward. So listeners, thank you for listening to us. Really do appreciate it. Please go on Facebook, like us on Facebook, or close your Facebook. Get rid of all social media, fucking. Tell your friends about us. It's pretty much the only way we get around. This is Fucko. Fuckstifer. Fuck us. Keep on geeking on. We're out. I get Ah, uh-huh.